Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Breaking down how the Avalanche defeated the Lightning for the Stanley Cup. Plus, what to expect when the NBA offseason kicks off. And, did Serena Williams play in her final Wimbledon event? It's episode 78 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hello once again, everybody out there coming to you on the last day of June, June 30th, 2022 for episode number 78 coming at you of Let Me Speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you get this podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on any podcasting platform, we're on the recording side of things. We're a little bit uh, later than usual, just some scheduling conflicts. Plus, we wanted to get as much news as we can going out there and we'll get a deep dive into everything that's going on in the sports world. But meanwhile, uh, it's just been a lot of fun getting closer and closer to summer. Uh, We finally just put the AC in uh, for where I am. I turned it off. uh, Luckily for today, it's not uh, hot enough where you got to keep it rolling. And obviously we don't want that background noise going on, but tomorrow we're definitely going to be cranking those things up. It's going to be in the nineties. Uh, in Massachusetts, uh, and obviously, 4th of July weekend. You can't uh, get past that, so I hope everyone's going to be safe out there and enjoy uh, this special holiday. It is on a Monday, so it's almost like a three-day or a four-day weekend for some people. I know for me, it's a no-day weekend because I still got uh, my regular job schedule, so uh, just hope everyone is very safe out there and enjoys the 4th of July, not just the day on Monday, but on the weekend. And obviously in the summer, some things do kind of slow down, at least in the sports world. I mean, baseball is really the only thing that's going on. I mean, you've got Wimbledon that's going on right now. Of course, uh, you got some golf news heading out there, but obviously the start of summer marks the end of the NHL season. And of course it ends with the Stanley cup. And we finally have our champions and that is the Colorado avalanche. I'm a little bitter because I said five games they would do it, and they were one game off. One game off. They beat the Lightning in six games. They won in Tampa, third overall uh, Stanley Cup, first time since 2001, and it was Ray Bork. I know I was going back and forth on, like, who was it? Who was the former Bruin that finally got that win with Colorado? And it was Ray Bork, you know, the legendary Bruin that finally got Uh, his cup. So I finally was able to go back on that, but we're not talking about 2001. We're talking about 2022 and how the avalanche did it just with speed and with depth. You know, you could go, you could look at all the numbers that they had, not just in the regular season, but in the postseason as well, but you could just use the eye test and look at them on the ice and you could just see them moving up and down the ice. It felt like they had the momentum pretty much in every single game. And in terms of how they got to the Stanley Cup, I mean, it, it's hard in the NHL because uh, the top teams out there, you know, the one through four or whatever, 
you know, it's not like in uh, other sports, you know, if you look at the NFL or the uh, NBA, where you say, oh, those top teams that are easily going to be in there. You can't really say that a lot about the NHL. I mean, more times than not, it's sort of like the three, four, the mid round or the the mid-level playoff teams that get to the final rather than, you know, the top seeds. I mean, come on, the Tampa Bay Lightning were a three seed uh, in their uh, playoff in their playoff run and they got to the Stanley cup. So, I mean, seeding doesn't really matter, but I mean, this was the rare exception for Colorado. I mean, they were the best team in the West record wise. Um, they were 16 and four during the whole postseason run. So, I mean, not, you could see it coming from like a standard playoff format because they were a number one team. Um, but just looking at the, the road that they had to get the sweep, against the blues that was pretty easy had a little bit uh of a test uh in their next run going against just gotta find it real quick against uh the or sorry it was the blues that had the six game set it was the predators that they swept so it was the first round sweep of nashville then a six game set with the blues easy sweep of edmonton and then coming out uh with the victory against the lightning so very impressive uh, by the avalanche, not just their road, but just, again, the depth that they have, you could just see how much faster and how much in control they were, were as compared to uh, Tampa, but just looking at the roster that they have. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers right now. I'm counting eight guys, eight skaters had double digits in points uh, this postseason. You had Makar, Rotanen, McKinnon, Landeskog, Kadri, uh, Nishuskin, and Taze, and Lekkinen. I mean, come on. Those are, if you've got eight guys in double figures uh, in terms of points in your postseason run, then you've got a really good team. And then, you know, right behind them, you had Byram, the defenseman, with nine assists. Josh Manson had eight points. JT Confer had eight points. Andre Burakovsky had eight points. I mean, this is a team that has so much depth, so much depth. And if you've got a roster built like that, it's, it's hard to stop them. It is very, very hard to stop them. But of course, everyone circles back to those top five guys. I mean, uh, Nazem Kadri, first off, that just felt like an entire energy boost once he came back in game three. No, game four, I should say. I mean, obviously, he had the game-winning goal, obviously. But there was just something about his energy. And I know he's kind of like a hit-and-miss kind of guy, you know, whether you love him or you hate him. But, I mean, you could do that with any kind of athlete. You could look at Brad Marchand for the Bruins, Tom Wilson for the Caps, you know, even going to other sports, Draymond Green, Marcus Smart, um, just all these guys where if he's not on your team, you're going to hate him. Uh, but if he is on your team, you're going to love him. And just something about his presence really turned things around the way he's able to uh, turn the game around so much. I mean, seven goals and eight assists in his postseason run. I thought that return was absolutely huge because, I mean, if he didn't come back, you know, there was opportunities of thinking 2-2 and it would have been an entirely different series. So I credit Kadri uh, for, for that. Um, obviously, Landis Gog and McKinnon, the two big scorers, along with Rotanen. I mean, Rotanen had 20 assists in this postseason run. McKinnon had 13 and 11. 
Landis Gog had 11 and 11. Very, very impressive. But the one guy I'm looking at is the playoff MVP, Kale McCarr. Eight goals, 21 assists, 29 points in the postseason. And I'm just going to say it right there with full-fledged confidence. This dude is the best defenseman in the NHL. Best defenseman in the NHL. I don't care. You could put him up against anybody else. Anybody else. I'm still picking McCarr over every other defenseman that the NHL has. Just because of his two-way. I mean, he's obviously a pass-first defenseman, but he's still not afraid to get in there and score it. And if you have a defenseman with a a score-first kind of mentality, uh, something like that, I think it's very, very vital. Very vital to have and obviously you could see it you know he won the playoff mvp he got that trophy and um i just i just was very very impressed with mccarr's uh play the the way that colorado sort of not necessarily leaned on him but you know they wouldn't be anywhere without mccarr on the defense and not only that but if you've got him complimenting guys like taves and byram and manson uh on the second line and the third line. I mean, this, as I say, depth, depth, depth for this Colorado team. But I mean, I, you can't, you can't do this Colorado run without the goalie. I mean, Darcy Kemper, 10 and four in the postseason, 902 save percentage. I mean, let's face it. He's not a Vasilevsky or an Andre Fleury or any kind of the shutdown goalie that you could say, if we need to shut them down, that's what we're going to do. But look at Kemp for what he did. I mean, take away that uh, 6-2 to two loss in the Stanley Cup against uh, Tampa. And they shut down. He shut down, I should say, a very strong Tampa uh, scoring team. I mean, he gave up three in game one, had a shutout in game two. Then, obviously, it was the 6-2 to two loss. Gave up two in that overtime win. Gave up three in the uh, game five loss, and then only gave up one. This is a high-scoring Tampa team that gets there with their offense, and Kemper was able to shut them down. I mean, props to Kemper. You know, sometimes you just go go on a good run. You go on a good run, and keep in mind, this was a dude who missed the entire conference finals. He didn't start one game in the conference finals during that Edmonton sweep, and he was able to come back healthy, put on a show and help the avalanche. So the avalanche were just able to get uh, help all around, all around from the, from the forwards to the defensemen, to Kemper and net. They just had it all working out so well. So props to Colorado for winning the Stanley cup. But of course the other side, we got to talk about Tampa because let's face it. This was a team going for the three peat, which is very, very hard to do. I'm not talking about um, just, in in the nhl but a three-peat for any sport is very very hard i mean the last three-peat you got to go back to are the patriots in the early 2000s so we're looking at about 20 years since the last time we saw a three-peat and you know we've seen teams come close like the warriors uh in the nba but eventually they weren't able to do it and we're now just learning about all of the injuries uh, that the Lightning were able to deal with. I mean, Braden Point had a quad tear for crying out loud, and he still tried to go. He still tried to go. So 
props to point for at least giving it a shot. You also have, you know, just looking at it real quick, uh, Nikita Kucherov, he had a sprained MCL. Uh, Bellamare had an MCL injury. Hagel uh, had an injury. Corey Perry, Sorelli, Paul. So, you know, you could kind of see it on the ice that the, they just weren't able to keep up with Colorado. And, you know, part of it is we're, we're seeing it right here with all these injuries uh, stacking up. But at the same point, there's also fatigue. I mean, Tampa has just been go, go, go from their first Stanley Cup in the bubble uh, when they won it in 2020. Then the Stanley Cup last year ended in July, and then it's a quick turnaround, and you're playing games uh, in September. And, you know, sometimes you just need a little bit of a reset. You know, not necessarily, you know, a full-fledged drop-off or a rebuild, but just a reset. And, you know, I, I just think it was part of, part of it was fatigue. I think a lot of fatigue... I uh, was in there kind of similar to uh, the Celtics in the NBA in that they've gone, they went through so much early on and it eventually added up. And I mean, props though to Tampa though, for, for making it to the Stanley cup and even having a shot at the three P. Cause I mean, come on, you were down three, one uh, to Toronto. You came back and won that series. You took easy care of Carolina and then you come back when things didn't look that good against the Rangers. You come back, down, you're down 2-1, and you win three straight, and you win that series. So I give full, uh, full credit to Tampa for their playoff run. I, I still wasn't expecting them to win just because a three-peat, again, is so hard, and Colorado was just the better team. Where they go from here, you know, honestly, if you ask me, I would still give them, you know, my favorite tag coming out of the East, at least. Just because I don't see any other team in the Eastern Conference right now where you could say, oh, that's definitely a Stanley Cup team right then and there. You know, you have Stanley Cup aspiration teams, but in terms of, like, who can actually get it done, I find that really hard to, to see in the Eastern Conference, you know, outside of Tampa. You know, the Lightning are proven champs, and I, I would favor them coming out of the East in 2023. You know, if you ask me, you know, a lot of things could change if you get to like off season and injuries and stuff like that. But for right now, I'd still, you know, if I'm going to Vegas and I'm putting my odds on it, I'd still put uh, Tampa in uh, my favorites coming out of the Eastern Conference. And the West is a totally different story because, as always, the West is much stronger than the East. So, I mean, what a Stanley Cup, though, it was. Um, I'm really looking forward to 2023. What happens with all these teams responding, you know, if Colorado can defend or if Tampa can get back and try and get back to the mountaintop. But for now I will salute the Colorado avalanche for getting back on the mountaintop and winning the Stanley cup. Shifting gears, let's talk basketball. And we got to talk about the NBA because the offseason is going to start by the time this episode is out. Uh, 6 p.m. Thursday, which is today, is when free agency begins and the offseason gets into full swing. That time of the year where player movement is going to begin. Now, just to give everyone a little insight, how I prep for this show is I've got a Word document full of notes right here. 
you know, I'm looking at it right now, all the notes I had, and I was so ready to go with these notes. But then all of a sudden, Max Scherzer came with an 120 mile an hour curveball and gave us huge breaking news that Kevin Durant is requesting a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Just, I wasn't even going to look at this. I was going to say possibly, you know, because Kyrie already opted in. So I'm thinking, okay, the Nets are probably just going to run it back. And if things don't, you know, dramatically change in the offseason or, or midseason, then there are going to be uh, some times to move on. And it's just crazy to think that Kevin Durant, who just signed a four-year extension a year ago with Brooklyn, with intentions to stay in Brooklyn, has now said, I want out. And I think all of this circles back to Kyrie Irving, you know, Let's be honest. I, I really think that this is just a locker room kind of thing. You know, how many people were turned off by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Because let's be honest, Kyrie's in his own world. He thinks what he does is right, and he's got superiority over everyone else. And GM Sean Marks and everyone else in the Nets organization was saying, no, 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 no. You don't run things. We run things. And apparently Kevin Durant, we know how soft he can be. You know, he looks at that and saying, whoa, 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 Kyrie is this guy. You got to give him some leadership. So if you're not going to give him leadership, then why am I here? But it's just insane to, you know, this was going to be, I, I had a note here, literally a bullet point that said this year might be a little bit quieter than usual. But here I am now saying because of one guy, one guy, Kevin Durant wanting a trade opens up so many doors for what can happen now. And now the question becomes, who's the trade partner? Who is it going to be? Because we've heard a lot of names out there. You know, does he go back to Golden State? I think Golden State within themselves are saying, we won with Kevin Durant and we won without Kevin Durant. Why do we need him back here? So that's out of the question. The Celtics don't need to trade for Kevin Durant because they're just going to run it back. Um, at, at least in my eyes, they're going to run it back with their squad. So ah, what about just, I'm just thinking of teams off the top of my head really quickly. I, I have a feeling the Knicks might be in play, you know, possibly getting uh, either Kyrie or Kevin Durant out there. I mean, they have the cap space. Um, but, you know, the Knicks already traded their assets to go after Jalen Brunson. You know, they probably wouldn't have done that if they knew Durant was possibly out there on the trade market. Um, you know, does he go back out west? Does he go back out east? I don't know, but there's so many questions. And this is only day one. It's only day one of the NBA offseason. I mean, I, I have a bunch of notes going on here of what's already happened. Um, but... It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy because this is going to be the story that dominates the summer is where does Kevin Durant get traded to? That's going to be the question. And it's kind of, it could go back to uh, what the Clippers did when they got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you know, maybe there's a big free agent that gets signed and then uh, a big trade that happens to pair them together. We don't know, you know, it's just going to be fascinating to hear about what's going on in the Brooklyn locker room. You know, if we hear from Kyrie, and KD or even Ben Simmons, possibly, you know, this is just going to be, it's going to be a story that we could talk about week after week after week, considering the fact that Kevin Durant has now put in a trade request to get out of Brooklyn. 
Um, but outside of Kevin Durant, there's also some uh, free agency news that impact the offseason. I mean, we've got players that have already decided on their uh, player options. You had the aforementioned Kyrie Irving, who opted into his deal. He's going to make 36 and a half mil. And then you had Russell Westbrook opt in with the Lakers at 47 mil. Not to say that they could still be traded because they still can. You know, possibly a sign and trade uh, with the Lakers could go down. That's another name out there uh, with uh, uh, with with uh, Kevin Durant. That's that's a possibility right there. And then you got players who already opted out, like Bradley Beal and James Harden. They've opted out of their deals, but there are reports from NBA insiders that are saying that they could resign. Um, we're hearing with Bradley Beal, he could go with the Supermax with Washington. James Harden has said he could take less money, so Philly could start building around him and Embiid. Um, I think, you know, at least on the James Harden side of things, that's him looking at himself. That's him looking at himself and saying, huh, maybe I'm not this elite player that I once was. You know, maybe I need some help. Um, And props to Harden for saying that. You know, I keep saying over and over and over, this is a dude who's got to learn to be selfless. And it's taken until he's 33 and he's past the prime of his career to say, you know, I'm not the guy I once was because he's forced himself off of two different teams. You know, he forced himself out of Houston, forced himself out of Brooklyn, and he doesn't want to be that guy in Philly. So we're, you know, I I think there's no other option for Harden, if you ask me, outside of uh, Philly. If you ask me if he's going to sign anywhere else. And then Bradley Beal, you know, there are those options, but he's not a supermax guy in my eyes. He's not a supermax player, but if he wants the money, go for it. Go for that money, Bradley Beal. And then you already had a bunch of trades uh, going down earlier in the week. You had the Wizards getting KCP and Ish Smith, uh, getting them to Denver for Monty Morris and Will Barton, possibly complimentary for Brad Beal. Yeah, the Knicks uh, clearing a bunch of cap space uh, by trading New Orleans Noel, Alec Burks, a bunch of picks uh, to the Pistons. And if you ask me about the Knicks, this seems so stupid of them. They just, they continue to surprise me with like sort of that, what are you doing kind of thing? Because they're creating all this cap space. They're getting about, you know, $45 million in cap space to sign Jalen Brunson. Uh, don't get me wrong about Jalen Brunson. He's a great player. You know, he's for, for Dallas, he was a great number two option behind Luka Doncic. Um, but if you're telling me that this kind of money is getting forwarded out, you know, you, you clear the space for guys like Kevin Durant or for a Kawhi Leonard or a Bradley Beal, you don't do it for Jalen Brunson a guy who has yet to make an all-star team at best. At best, he hasn't even made an all-star team. And you're telling him you're going to offer him over possibly $40 million, something like that? That's insane. And I get the New York connection because his dad is now an assistant coach uh, with the Knicks. But come on, you can't, you can't be using that kind of mentality for Jalen Brunson, you're kind of hoping like, Hey, here's the money. Here's the money. Come and get it. Come and get it rather than, you know, situational kinds of things. So, I mean, if you ask me, Jalen's probably better off in Dallas than in New York, but Hey, if he wants to go for the money and he wants to get paired up with his dad, so be it. Go nuts. 
Go nuts, Jalen Brunson. You have earned it after an incredible postseason run. But I think the biggest trade so far has been the Hawks and the Spurs. Atlanta getting DeJounte Murray from San Antonio. Uh, they did have to give up three first-round picks plus Danilo Gallinari. Gallo's probably going to get bought out. But that's just another team in the East that's going to get a little bit better. You know, that possibly opens the door for another name like Kevin Herter, possibly on the uh, trade market. You know, John Collins has been another name getting floated out there. But, I mean, Atlanta, they're finally making moves. They're finally realizing, okay, let's build around Trey Young. And now you've got another scoring option in the backcourt uh, with Murray. Now, granted, he is a point guard, and having two point guards in that backcourt is going to be it's going to be a little bit tricky for me. You know, I sort of see Murray as a point guard kind of player, you know, even if he's not listed like that on the depth chart. But this is still a great two-way player. You know, he fills it up. I think it was like 21 points, uh, nine rebounds, eight assists, something like that, you know. And uh, he's a great defensive player as well. Um, so I like what Atlanta did with this move. They didn't really give up too much. I know three unprotected first-rounders, is is giving up a lot but in terms of like your your players and uh, your roster you don't really give up that much so I mean right now your lineup is looking at Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, um, John Collins, Clint Capella out there and then that uh, that number three is kind of like a, a wait and see kind of thing out there you know it could be DeAndre Hunter he could put Kevin Herter back there in the lineup um, you could even put Bogdanovich in there you, you never know you never know with Atlanta but that's just that's an Atlanta team who looks at the East and says, you know, everyone's getting better. It's time for us to get in there. So now they're sort of in that, to me, at least, that sort of middle of the pack kind of thing, like they were in 2021 when they made the conference finals. You know, they're right in there with uh, Chicago and uh, with Philly and all those teams. So I do like what Atlanta is trying to do. Um, but I think the biggest name out there on the free agency market, because like I, you know, as I said in the headline, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit quieter than the usual, but I was talking on the free agency market kind of things, not necessarily with the trade and all that uh, with Kevin Durant now, but I think the biggest name out on the free agency market has to be DeAndre Aiden. And granted, he's a restricted free agent. You know, he might be the biggest name that's on the move. And we we've heard, you know, reports coming out that, he wants a max contract. Phoenix doesn't want to give him the max contract. And honestly, you know, he's not a max player to me, but he's a very, very important player. It would be insane if Phoenix didn't re-sign him and didn't have him on the roster because he's just as instrumental as Devin Booker, as Chris Paul, as Mikhail Bridges. You know, if, you know, we already know the West is super stacked, you know, with the Warriors being the defending champs, with Dallas getting the experience with a young Memphis team coming out and then the Clippers who are getting healthy um, and all these teams. Um, so if Phoenix loses DeAndre Ayton, they're going right back to the bottom, you know, not, not necessarily the bottom of like getting back in the draft lottery, but they're not going to be the top team in the West again, you know, like they were the past two seasons because DeAndre Ayton is one of the best big men that the league has today. And if you let him go, that would be insane. So hopefully, you know, Aiton and Phoenix can find a way to sort of meet in the middle. And granted, you are dealing with uh, some cap stuff 
We're trying to deal with Booker's contract and Paul's contract. But I think, you know, on Aiton's side of things, he should say, this is the best chance for me to win. If I want to win, I want to stay with Phoenix. If I want to go for more money, I should find a deal elsewhere. But it would be insane for Phoenix to let this guy go just because of how valuable and important he is. But what's crazy about the NBA offseason is it hasn't even begun. I mean, we just had the draft a week ago. The legal tampering period doesn't start until 6 p.m. And we're already seeing a bunch of news and headlines coming from the offseason. So it is going to be a wild and hectic summer here in the NBA offseason. There is much more to talk about in the world of sports, and we can't fit them all into a bunch of different segments, but let's condense them into one big segment. It is time for Quick Hits. And we're going into tennis to start this one. Women's tennis, that is, and that is Serena Williams, who played in her first singles match in about a year. Of course, you remember last year, Tore her hamstring, had to withdraw from a match. Uh, and then she hadn't played a singles match until earlier in the week. And unfortunately, it was a first round match that was on the losing end of things to Harmony Tan at Wimbledon. And when you watch that match back, I mean, it, things were looking good. You know, she won the first set 7-5. Then the last two sets come in. She lost the second one 6-1. to and then just had a huge tie break with Tan at a seven to six, including seven uh, match points. Um, it was it, it was it was great to see Serena back on the court, but just again, you're just looking at the circumstances of all things. She's 40 years old. She's losing in the first round. Is an unranked player losing to another unranked player? I mean, it, it's hard for me to say that. You know, this is this. It, we're not going to see Serena win another major. It, it's hard for me to say that, but it's it might be the reality. Now, I'm still going to root for her in tying that major's record, get that 23rd major. Um, but from what I'm seeing out there, you know, maybe Serena just plays a little bit more. You know, she, she plays in the U.S. Open coming up, and then she hopefully gets some more uh, single uh, tournaments uh, under her belt just to get back into a groove of things. And then maybe that could bolster my confidence but in terms of like the situation what I saw immediately it's hard for me to say that Serena Williams will continue uh her dominance because uh, let's face it age and uh mother time I guess you know the opposite of father time is starting to catch up to her as preluded in our previous segment the NBA draft took place last week and another curveball was thrown out there specifically from the Orlando Magic. You know, reports were coming out that Jabari Smith Jr., Jabari Smith Jr., he was number one. He was number one. Well, he fell to number three with the Houston Rockets. And Paolo Banchero was picked number one out of Duke University. Now, granted, you know, for me, in the in the top three with uh, Banchero, Chet Holmgren, who went second, and then Smith, who uh, went third, they're all kind of the same player in in the sense of that they're 6'10 power forwards and they're they're somewhat of a need. 
there for uh, each three teams. So, you know, I wouldn't fault Orlando, whoever they took out of those three. You know, I knew the Thunder were probably going for Holmgren regardless, you know, so they weren't phased at all by Boncaro going number one. Uh, that just opened the door for the, the Rockets to get a a guy who was projected to go number one uh, and he falls to number three and he didn't really have to do that much. Um, but outside of the top three, you know, there's a winner, I think, and a loser. The loser, as we already talked about, the Knicks, they just continue to confuse me. You know, they draft a player at number 11, then you get rid of him and you get three first rounders. So you basically were in the lottery and you didn't get anybody. Again, clearing cap space just confuses me. But the big winners to me are the Pistons. I thought the Pistons were great in their moves. You get Jay Nivey at number five. You acquired the number 13 pick from Charlotte, Jalen Duran. And you're starting to see what Detroit is starting to do with that foundation with Kate Cunningham uh, out there. Now you've got Ivy and Duran. You got Sadiq Bay also in that rotation. You know, they're not they're not going to turn things around really quickly. I think they're probably still about two or three years away from being strong contenders because you're still trying to develop uh, all these players. But I like the foundation that the Pistons uh, are setting. Um, and, it, you know, I got a feeling that uh, this is going to be uh, Detroit's going to be a team we're going to start talking about uh, as the years come around. Shifting to baseball, we got a lot of headlines to talk about. We'll start with probably the headline of the week, and that was the literal fighting uh, between division teams as the Angels and Mariners had literally fists flying uh, on Monday. And, you know, it it's a really complicated uh, situation to try and break down, but I'll just put it at you like this. Julio Rodriguez uh, nearly throws at Trout's head. Andrew Wance comes back and throw, nearly throws at a guy's head. And then Jesse Winker for Seattle gets hit. And then just chaos ensued. You know, you had guys throwing punches and all that. And then you had Winker basically, like, losing his mind. You know, he flipped off the fans. You know, he was tossing stuff on the field. It was insane. And then you had Rossiel Iglesias toss the, uh, the bucket of, like, double bubble or something like that. The sunflower seeds. And all in all... 12 players were suspended. 12 players and a couple of managers. You got interim manager Phil Nevin. He got 10 games. Jesse Winker gets seven. J.P. Crawford, Ryan T- uh, J.P. Crawford gets five. Ryan Tapera, Andrew Wance for the Angels gets three, along with Rodriguez, three. Rossiel Iglesias, who went nuts, gets two. Even the interpreter for the Angels got two games suspended. Like, it was insane. Absolutely insane. And... You know, for for an entertainment value, you're kind of like appealing to this. But then you also got to look down the road. This team's got to play more of each other. You know, these are division foes. They're literally foes now. So anytime you see the Angels and the Mariners uh, on the calendar in the MLB schedule, circle that date and turn the TV on because that is going to be definitely something appealing to watch. We had an MLB debut take place for a veteran, you know, hard to say, but Mark Appel made his major league debut at 30 years old when he came into relief with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's now the oldest number one pick to debut. If you're keeping track of Mark Appel, he was the number one pick in the 2013 draft by the Astros. And you know who was picked right behind him? Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant 
is a World Series champion, an all-star, and he got picked behind this guy, and he just debuted. Like, I still get baffled as to the scouts, what they're exactly looking for. But, I mean, the story for Appel is is really, really fascinating. You know, he had a bunch of injuries in Houston. He eventually got traded to the Phillies. And then he left the Phillies for three seasons uh, before coming back uh, this season uh, for Philadelphia. And sure enough, he gets called up uh, in a relief appearance. And that's just, it's almost like a giant weight lifted off of his shoulders because there was so much hype i even remember it there was hype from appel um because i remember he got drafted by the pirates the year before but instead he wanted to go back and uh, play uh high school i believe or, or college something like that so then he reclassifies into the draft and he gets to be the number one pick for houston and houston was totally in the cellar at that time um, but, you know, eventually all roads lead to the NBA. Granted, the road for Appel was a little bit longer, but I salute Appel for finally making his Major League debut. Granted, it's at 30, but he made it. Speaking of the Phillies, though, they lost another name to injury, and it's probably the worst name that you could lose. Bryce Harper got hit by a pitch broke his thumb, and is now out indefinitely. This is a huge loss for the Phillies. Because, I mean, keep in mind, this guy still had a UCL tear. So he couldn't feel it, but he could still hit. And he was basically on the same course Harper was from his M MVP year. Hitting 318, 15 homers, 48 RBIs. He was definitely going to be an all-star this year and probably get into the top three at least in terms of MVP voting in the National League. And looking at the standings in the MLB, this was a Philly team that was still crawling to at least stay afloat. I mean, you saw what happened when they got rid of Joe Girardi. Things turned around. And now you lose your best hitter, your best player, and you're just hovering at 500 with him. So it's going to be really... I, I want to see how the Phillies respond because this is why you get guys like Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber to sort of try and relieve that offense. But with a guy like Bryce Harper, it's really hard to replace him in the lineup. And, you know, the East in the National League, the NL East is very, very tough. You got the Mets, who are the one of the top teams in the National League. They're leading the division. The Braves are turning things around. Uh, and then you have the Phillies. But you also have, you know, you don't have to worry about the Marlins and the Nats. But they can be, you know, like little Nats, you know, no no pun intended, uh, and just sticking around and kind of playing spoiler, essentially. Um, so where the Phillies go is going to be uh, really interesting to see. And that is a wrap-up on this week's edition of Quick Hits. time for all you boston fans out there it's your segment our let's get local segment of the week and we're it's kind of a quiet segment though only got uh red Sox and celtics uh to talk about this week let's talk about those red Sox, shall we what a month of june they've had 20 and 4 or sorry 20 and 6 in the month of june this was a team 
That was 11 and 19 heading into May. And look at the turnaround that they've had. You know, I was talking about it with uh, one of my co-producers over at WEI. You take away the month of April, that really, really crappy month of April, and maybe the first week of May or whatever, and you could have a team that might only be like four or five games behind the Yankees instead of uh, 13 back, looking at the standings right now. Um, But everyone this week wants to talk about the Toronto series because obviously they were in Toronto, some really, really tough games, and the, you know, sort of, I guess, the, the big headline that gets out of it is all the players who couldn't go to Toronto because of the vaccine mandate. You know, those players include Chris Sale, but he wasn't ready to return anyway. Jaron Duran couldn't come. You know, you lose a bunch of base running and a bunch of offense right then and there. And then the big one was Tanner Houck, because Tanner Houck is your closer, and you had a save situation going on in the ninth inning uh, Tuesday night. You know, you were you were on top, five to four, and instead of going with uh, instead of going with Tanner Houck, who you normally have in the position, you go with uh, another reliever, and you lose the game six to five. You know, I, I don't blame Alex Cora for uh, trying to to do something like that. Um, but in terms of just the situation, you know, I again circle back to Heim Bloom. Like, why are you? What are you doing? Sort of giving giving this. Um, what are you giving him? What are you giving him, essentially? Um, like, you're giving him Ryan Brazier, Hansel Robles, and Tyler Danish. You know, you, you went with Tyler Danish. You know, Cora was basically handcuffed. You know, you look, you look at the, the problem that – or the situation that had happened in that eighth inning. You know, you had your big bats. You had uh, Springer. Uh, Guerrero, um, all these guys, you bring in your best reliever for the middle innings, John Schreiber. Of course you got to bring him in. Then you go to guys like Tyler Danish and Hansel Robles who just flat out stink. Absolutely stink. I mean, the bullpen, you know, I, as I said at the beginning of the year, the bullpen is the biggest problem on this team and Heimblum did nothing to address it. And he said it outwardly that this team needs bullpen help and what does he do he just sits back in his chair kind of looks and is like eh, figure it out yourself like it still blows my mind what Bloom decides to do with this team because I don't blame Tanner Howe you know it's obviously we've gone we've done this vaccine mandate talk all throughout sports for about a year or so so we don't have to get deep into, you know, my body, my choice, blah, blah, blah. Because I've said it over and over every single time we talk about the vaccine mandate. Like, whatever your choice is, I'm going to respect it, and I'm going to back away. I'm not, uh, you know, am I going to have an issue with it? Sure, but I'm not going to get in the way and say, get the damn shot, get the damn shot. You know, I'm going to avoid that at all. But it's the, you saw this situation coming. If you're Heim Bloom, you knew this situation was coming up. You know, why do you continue to just say, here you go? You know, he's re- does he really trust the farm system? Does he really trust a bunch of young guys? You know, granted, there are a bunch of injuries out there. You know, there's still no Avaldi, still no Whitlock. Um, you know, Josh Taylor's still uh, rehabbing down in Worcester. Um, so 
it's it's situational for Alex Cora. I get the kind of moves that he's trying to make, but at the same time, what is he being set up with? He's not being set up with much. And the same thing could go, you know, with last night in the um in the um uh, in the ninth and the tenth inning. You got Bobby Dahlbeck as a pinch hitter, and you got Trevor Story as a pinch runner. Like I would have put Story as a hitter, not a runner. Like I'm just, you know, luckily. They got the win last night in extra innings. Things were not looking pretty, but you know, I, I still think this is a middle of the pack kind of team where, you know, as we said, they won against the teams they had to win against. Okay. They took series from the A's, the Tigers, the Mariners, the angels, the teams that stink, they got the wins, you know, you get the benefit of sweeping uh, in Cleveland, a team that was at near the top of their division. And now you've lost two out of three to the Blue Jays. It's kind of a setback, but you can reset yourself with a really crappy team in Chicago now taking on the Cubs. So get two out of three there and you'll be able to reset yourself. I mean, this is still, they're still on the road trip, four and two, four and two on the road trip. And they get the off day today to get everyone to reset. But, you know, I'm loving what the lineup is doing right now. I'm a big fan of Rob Ref Snyder. The fact that he's come up from AAA and has started just raking right now. He's gone nuts hitting the ball with uh, home runs and uh, base running. Jaron Duran, even though he didn't play in the Toronto series, I still love him for his speed and just his overall improvement from when he got called up last year. Um, you know, I, I love the lineup. It's just the bullpen that's going to continue to like give me headaches and give me issues. Uh, for the fact that there are these kind of close games and games where you need your bullpen to come through. You know, they can do it against the really bad teams. But when it comes down to the important times, when you're playing the Blue Jays, or eventually when you're going to be playing the Yankees and the Rays, and you're going to be playing the Blue Jays again, this is where you need them. You absolutely need them. So, you know, we'll just have to see what the Sox do. But it'll be, yeah, this is going to be a nostalgia series for me because you've got, Arguably the two most historic franchises in baseball, the Sox and the Cubs, you know, they were both lovable losers at one point. They both broke their droughts. And I can't even remember the last time the Sox went to Chicago and played the Cubs. I mean, we're talking years now for two of the most historic franchises. And it's weird to have a Friday afternoon start. You know, I would have thought it would be a Friday night, um, but it's going to be really fascinating to watch because I mean, Arguably outside of, you know, I'll just put it like this. My three favorite teams to root for in baseball are the Red Sox, the Tigers, and the Cubs. Why do I say the Tigers? Because uh, legendary picture, the late, great Mark Fidrich grew up in my hometown, and I've gotten to know, I got to know him and his family. We've gotten to be really close. The third favorite team I like to root for is the Cubs because – um, outside of Fenway, Wrigley Field has been the other big league ballpark that I've been to. And Wrigley is just as historic as Fenway. So um, that's sort of why I root for the Cubs. Definitely not going to be rooting for them this weekend. Don't get me wrong on that. Um, but I just think from a nostalgia uh, purpose kind of thing, I think this is going to be a really fun series to watch when they head to Wrigley and uh, take on the Cubs. But that's the team on the field. Off the field, let's talk Celtics because – off-season questions continue to come around. Do you trade Marcus Smart? Do you run it back with your full team? What free agents are you going to go after? I mean, we're hearing reports about the names that they are interested in. 
we heard Alec Burks was a name, but he got traded to Detroit. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is a name. He just became a free agent after buying out with San Antonio. You know, would he come on that um, mid-level and that $6 million uh, mid-level? I mean, if Gallo wants to win, that can help your bench scoring right then and there. I think that would be, that would be huge uh, for Gallinari to sign with the Celtics because you've got a guy who's not only got uh, some size uh, in the front court, you know, you can sub him in, in as a three because that's really what you're looking for. You're kind of looking for not only bench scoring, but sort of like that wing depth. Um, I thought, you know, Neesmith could have, you know, um, built into that, but you sort of have a safety net if you bring in Gallinari. If Neesmith doesn't develop into that, you know, player you hoped he would be when you drafted him, you still have Danilo Gallinari, who can knock down shots. He can knock down shots, uh, and he can give you scoring off the bench. That's what you don't got to worry about at all. And then once you get that bench scoring, then you look back on, okay, is there a point guard out there that you could possibly upgrade from? Because let's be honest, the point guards you have now, Marcus Smart, he's not the traditional point guard. You know, he's not the scoring point guard. Derek White, you know, he's kind of in that same boat. And Peyton Pritchard, I don't really see him as a point guard. I just see him as a really low uh, two guard, you know, kind of similar to Avery Bradley uh, when he was with the Celtics. You know, he was more of a, a two guy rather than the, the point guard. So I think, you know, I'm going to say it over and over and over again. No drastic changes for the Celtics team. I think you keep Marcus Smart. I think you stay clear and away from any kind of Kevin Durant trade. I say get that thought out of your mind because you know you're going to have to include Jalen Brown in that trade and you are not giving up Jalen Brown. I am one of those fans who wants to keep Jalen Brown for as long as possible. So you have him and Tatum, you keep smart. You still got time Lord and Al Horford. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see what Brad Stevens can do. Obviously you still got that TPE, that trade level exception that goes until July 17th and it's for $17 million. So what are you going to do with that? Who are you going to get? There's still plenty of time to figure that out. But questions are going to come aplenty for the Celtics as they begin their, their offseason. And for people here in Boston, it's only a matter of time before we start to see some big headlines dominating the state. always do we look at our lol moment of the week and we are going back to a story we talked about a little bit early where someone kind of had a double whammy not only did they get involved in a fight and got suspended or possibly got suspended but there was an injury side of things as well so this week's lol moment of the week goes to archie bradley the reliever for the la angels so Back to the brawl between the Angels and the Mariners, okay? Someone who didn't get suspended got a much worse uh, outcome from that brawl, and that was Archie Bradley because for trying to get involved in the fight, he's now out months with a broken elbow. Yes, he fractured his elbow trying to, I guess, go uh, up over the railing. Uh, He slipped and fell. And he still tried to get involved. And now, because of that, 
he fractured his elbow and is now out for months um, for trying to get involved in something he probably didn't need to get involved in. You know, you don't have to rush out there. You know, if, if it's a brawl, we've, we've seen what happens, you know, half, half of this is in, in all baseball, you know, skirmishes or benches clearing or whatever, kind of similar to what we saw with uh, Toronto and Boston last night. You know, it was just a lot of guys just pulling everyone back, pulling everyone away. You know, if it was me, you know, I'd kind of just take my time. I wouldn't rush out there. Obviously, I'd, you know, be, I'd, I'd, I'd have a sense of urgency in trying to break everything's up. But I wouldn't, you know, um, do what Archie Bradley did and basically rush out there, slip, and get have any kind of chance of injury. You know, that's kind of like, I remember a couple of years ago when the Dodgers and the Padres um, had their brawl, and uh, Zach Greinke, had a broken collarbone because Carlos Quinton charged at him and uh, Granke kind of like lowered his shoulder. And he was still after that big hit, which was the one that broke his collarbone. He still went out and was, uh, you know, fighting and throwing punches uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, arguably what Archie Brad, what happened to Bradley might be worse than what happened to Anthony Rendon who got suspended while he was injured. The dude was out for the whole year with a fractured wrist, and now he's suspended five games, which he's going to have to serve at the start of 2023, wherever he starts, wherever he plays, when he gets healthy. I mean, it's hard to say which one is worth, but for this moment, I'm going Archie Bradley because he was well, he was perfectly healthy. And because of this, you know, granted, it's, you know, he slipped, anyone can slip and hurt something but come on to get involved into a fight that's like you know a spectator like if you're outside a, a bar or whatever and you see two people like fighting or whatever and you try to get involved and you take an errant elbow and you broke break your nose or something like that um or you're inadvertently in the way something like that i it, it's stuff like that so you know rendon is is very tempting to give his moment but he was injured so it was kind of like a you know uh, freedom or whatever just like he, he could have like gone in and done his own thing um and you know he wouldn't he wouldn't have been punished you know he would have been fined or whatever but he wouldn't have been able to play anyway so you wouldn't have to worry about it archie bradley is a different story though because he's still a vital piece for the angels trying to turn things around after they fired joe madden you know it's gotten worse than it's gotten better and bradley you know granted you know, he's not that that reliever you absolutely need, but at least you have him. At least you have Archie Bradley, but now you don't have Archie Bradley because he broke his elbow for trying to get involved in a fight. So Bradley, for suffering an injury that will take months to heal for a situation you weren't even involved in, you have landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that wraps it up for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure, as always, you follow our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.